Can two divorced men share an apartment without driving each other crazy? Hello and welcome to another episode of 1049 Park Avenue, an Odd Couple podcast. Ted here with Garrett. Hello, Garrett. Hello, Ted. So today we're going to talk about season two, episode six, Murray the Fink. Now, for those of you keeping track, we are skipping season two, episode five about Felix's grave because that is on our list of season two episodes that do not deserve to be given a full podcast to talk about because they're not that great. As a reminder, we will cover the season two episodes that we do not devote a full episode in one or two uh, episodes that cover multiple of the second-rate episodes where we'll discuss whatever good moments there are in them, and there are good moments in all of them, but also why we find them to be inferior. So, Fair enough. So today we are talking about Marie the Fink, and before we get into it, we will... But turn it over to Garrett for a little history on when it aired and who's behind the scenes. So this is Mary the Fink. It is season two still. We are now in episode six. Original air date, October 29, 1971. Writing credit goes to Perry Grant and Dick Bensfield. But more famous to TV fans might be the name of the director of this episode, Jay Sandrich who, uh, with a many, many decades of credits, this being early, roughly, in his directing career, but he went on to direct many seasons of The Cosby Show, a show that we don't talk about much anymore for some reason, but was a big hit in its time, I understand. I think we do know the reason. Oh. Um, he all, yes, he, he goes, his credits go as far back as uh, uh, I Love Lucy, where he was an assistant director, and he directed many episodes of many series over the years, uh, including 119 episodes of Mary Tower Moore. Oh, wow. And what, you know what else I noticed on his credits? A certain show called Night Court, which is kind of appropriate for Oh, yes. Episode. That's a very good tie-in. Uh, but before we get to anything about a court, we'll get into our first scene of the episode where we open on a poker game and we see Oscar and Murray and Speed and Vinny. So let's talk about Speed and Vinny for a moment because we have not addressed them uh, fully in our podcast, even though this is not their first time on the show. So let's first talk about Speed. Speed is played by Gary Wahlberg, who was a very busy actor before The Odd Couple. He had lots of TV and radio credits. He was on 33 episodes of Peyton Place, where he played a cop. And if you look at his history uh, of acting credits, he played a lot of cops. He was on eight episodes of Lassie, 10 episodes of Gunsmoke, all playing miscellaneous characters. He was in 13 episodes of The Odd Couple, many of them in season one. This is his ninth episode. And he had even more success after playing Speed with Jack Klugman once again, where he was on 145 episodes of Quincy playing Lieutenant Monaghan. So to many people, he is most famous playing a TV detective. That is probably... I'd say to the general American public, he's more recognizable for Quincy than for Odd Couple, even though Quincy does not syndicate as well as the Odd Couple did. He didn't do much work after the Odd Couple, but he did come back to play Speed on the Odd Couple Together Again reunion movie, which I guess at some point after we go through the huh. entire episodes here, huh. uh, you and I will talk about. I did watch that Last recently. resort. Last it resort. Is, it is a tough watch. I agree with you. Uh, I found an interview. I was curious if 
was it a coincidence he was on Quincy and Odd Couple? Was he a friend of Jack Klugman's from like high school? And there's an interview on a website called theoddcouple.info. That's a, a website that's very good out there. And the owner of that website did an interview with Jack Klugman in 2006. And he asked him if Gary being on both shows was a coincidence. And Klugman said, quote, he's a dear friend. I've known him for over 50 years, almost 60 years, and from New York. And when he auditioned, I think now he's talking about the odd couple. He called me when he auditioned for the odd couple and I called Tony and I called Gary Marshall and I said, he's a good actor, use him. And I also cast him as Monaghan and Quincy. So it does sound like they have a connection. He died in 2012. Uh, in the movie, Speed was played by Larry Haynes, who most people won't know unless you're a soap opera fan because he really spent most of his career, 35 years on Search for Tomorrow. Did not know that, but never saw that show. So. No, neither did I. I was not a soap opera. I am not a daytime soap opera viewer. I am a nighttime soap opera. Vinny is played I'm, by... La yes. Oh, Vinny is played by Larry Gelman. Uh, Gelman started appearing on TV and movies in 1966. Uh, Mission Impossible was his first appearance and then worked in a bunch of different things. He's on 12 episodes of The Odd Couple. This is his ninth. Most of them are season one as well. And then he did a lot of work after The Odd Couple. He was on 13 episodes of Bob Newhart, six episodes of Maud, six episodes of Eight is Enough, and he's still alive. The actor who played Vinny in the movie is John Fieldler, who is, does appear in The Odd Couple multiple times, and we will talk about him. He has some great roles uh, in The Odd Couple TV series later on. And he's but a none very, of them Vinny. None of them Vinny, no. Uh, uh, he was used to maybe even better than Vinny. I think the roles he came up... Vinny has never been a very no. funny or interesting character. Speed is more interesting. Yeah. Uh, John Fielder, I would argue, would have made uh, Vinny a little more interesting, but I think it's just a the fact they never wrote for Vinny. But John Fielder, also Star Trek fans will recognize him. He's, he's, he meant, if you watch any shows from the 60s, 70s, you know John Fielder. So that's um, her. Yes. You want to Yeah, add? I just, sorry, I keep trying to interrupt you, but. Uh... Isn't it interesting how the poker players, so, so this is one of the last episodes we see the non-Murray poker players. Uh, not the last. I know I think we have another one coming up. But uh, the, you know, I've been thinking about how starting with the, in the play and the movie, the poker players are the supporting characters, basically, at the main supporting characters. And they, they really uh, play a major role in the, in the story. And... Um, and Speed, actually, it, among them, is kind of the lead character among the poker players because the most funny lines, not Murray. Uh, and to see that evolve where in season one of the TV series, they are still very frequent players. But clear, here we're starting to see in season two the phasing out of the poker gang. They, so first they get rid of Roy, right? I don't think we see Roy again. No. And uh, that they do bring back Speed and Vinny a few times. And so this is one of the one of the few episodes we get to see the great Gary Wahlberg, who is really great. I love he's my favorite poker player, actually, my favorite non Murray poker player uh, to see him in front of a live audience. And so it's a, it's a treat. Well, I think what they realize is the Pigeon Sisters, the poker players, they're getting in the way of the chemistry. And yeah. when you now go to a multi, to a multi camera show with an live audience. It's just the chemistry between Randall and Klugman that you need to focus on, and everyone else is a distraction, even though there's plenty of other people that show up and plenty of scenes where there's more than just Jack and Tony on the, on the show. But I think they just realize they don't need them. They're not helpful. Plus, they're not that funny. I, I find the Pigeon Sisters uh, really unfunny. Mm -hmm. 
All right, we're off on a tangent. Um, although that's what you do on podcasts. So the scene opens. So we see everyone. Murray is complaining about the gold watch that he got for being 15 years on the New York City Police Department. Oscar says it looks like a nice watch. And I thought the same, actually. I thought it actually looked like a pretty decent gift. I was actually surprised the NYPD would give somebody that nice a gift for 15 years. Uh, but Oscar, uh, uh, Murray says the engraving says to Pinky from Edna because, mm-hmm. quote, they got it in a raid. Now, Pinky and Edna are two, must be two favorite go-to names for Gary Marshall because we know that Edna is Felix's daughter in the show. Was Edna Felix's daughter in the play? You know, Ted, I got to admit, you've stumped me. Um, I, will, uh, I will go back to the play and see if I can find, even if they're, my hunch is there's not even, a, a, that the children are not named in the play, but um, I will check. But, I did a little digging yeah. and, and could not find there was a reference, so I thought you might know. And of course, Happy Days has Pinky Tuscadero, the Gary Marshall show. So Pinky and Edna are names that uh, have a Gary Marshall connection to them. Felix walks in from the kitchen with a quote-unquote surprise, which is fondue with long forks and French bread, which comes back to be a mm. big part of the show later. Uh, Murray says that if he was on the Vice Squad, he would have gotten a Hawaiian vacation. Felix says Murray doesn't want to be on the Vice Squad. He's too nice. Murray says that he's a buddy in the Vice Squad for three years, and he has a house in Miami and a new Ferrari, <laughs> which I think was referring to a lot of the New York City graft stuff, you know, corruption in the 1970s. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds a little fishy that the, <laughs> the story that Murray is, is telling here. Uh, Murray says he has the worst arrest record on the force. So I don't know how he's been there for 15 years, if that's true. There are citizens who make more arrests than he does. Mm-hmm. And Murray says, what's wrong with me? And Oscar now starts to go in and says that he's never going to be a great cop, much like Oscar's never going to be Ring Lardner. Now, Ring Lardner is a name that's uh, not well-known to anyone today. I don't know how well-known it was in 1971. That, that yes. you, yeah. uh, so he, uh, I know the name. I don't really know a lot about him. I did some research. He was a Chicago-based sports writer. Of course, Oscar's a sports writer who had a syndicated column uh, in the early 20th century. And he was also a short story writer. He actually moved beyond just being a sports writer to be a kind of celebrated short story writer. He was also fairly uh, well-known when the Black Sox scandal happened. He was covering the Black, the White Sox for Chicago, and he felt kind of betrayed by this team that was now conspiring to throw games. Um, And he died very young. He was 48, died in 1933. He had a tuberculosis-induced heart attack. Mm. Well, two two other fun facts about Ring Lardner, aside from his death, as you said. Um, His, uh, he uh, is not to be confused with his son, Ring Lardner Jr., who became a famous Hollywood screenwriter and a famous blacklist victim, uh, one of the original Hollywood 10 in the 40s and 50s. Uh, but Ring Lardner Sr. was indeed a, one of the most famous sports writers of his generation. And as you say, Oscar would probably look up to him because he went beyond sports, right? He kind of crossed over and became a legit writer. He is also featured in the movie about the Black Sox scandal, Eight Men Out, and where he is played by the movie's direct writer and director, John Sayles. Oh, so you can check out that movie if you want to learn more about him. So Oscar goes on to say that uh, Murray is not mean enough. Um, and Felix starts to say that Oscar should lay off 
Murray gets incensed about that and says, so are you saying I'm going to be a failure for the rest of my life? And Oscar says, to be a successful cop, you have to be tough and able to arrest your own brother or your mother. And Oscar continues to needle him about how sweet and timid Murray is. And um, Felix says that Murray can change. Oscar says, no, he can't. And that's when Murray pulls out his gun and says, this is a raid. So why don't we listen to uh, Oscar get Murray all riled up, which leads to the raid, which leads to or the rest of the episode. In other words, what you're saying, Oscar, is that I'm going to be a failure for the rest of my life. Is that right? Yeah, it's not such a terrible thing. You handle it very well. <laughs> I don't want to happen to be a failure. I want to realize my full potential. Well, maybe you've already realized your full potential. Oscar, sometimes people can change, you know. Yeah, Murray. Come on, I got nine cards. <laughs> <laughs> to be a successful cop, you got to be tough. You got to be able to arrest your own brother, your own mother. I mean, you see something wrong, you arrest, arrest, that's it. Listen, Oscar, I could be a tough cop if I want to be. No way. You see something wrong, you turn the other way, especially if you knew the guy. Oh, you think so, huh? I know so. You're too sweet, that's all. Well, I can change, Oscar. No way you can't. I can too change. I'm telling you, no chance. Now, will you listen to what I'm all telling right, you? All right, fellas, this is a rage. <laughs> now, what I don't understand is, if that really happened... Wouldn't they just say, okay, sit down, Murray. Let's get back to the game. I mean, they actually get arrested, which mm-hmm. I don't... So they, they just, like, Murray says, okay, I'm, I'm being serious. They never take Murray seriously. Right. So here they are. They walk out of the door, get into his police yeah, car. Somehow he's got, he points his gun at them, and I guess they actually follow him. Well, I think, to, be, yeah, to be fair, though, they, I mean, for what we learn later is, like, aside from Oscar, the other three really do go along with it. For Murray's sake, it seems. Yeah, but they... But how do they get Oscar to come along? Yeah. But they also come to that realization later. I don't see Speed is particularly wanting to get arrested and go, well, we're going to help Murray out here in the moment. I just... If this was a different scene or not played to get them arrested, the normal dialogue would have been, sit down, Murray. Right. I, it, well, I guess it's pretty convenient that they cut the scene off at that line I guess and so. skip right. right ahead to the jail scene so well, we don't have to even see that part. Well, in fact, before um, we get there, the next yeah. scene after the opening credits, because that's where we go to after... But before he, we get there. Yes, yeah. Uh, can we say a little more about Murray, since this is a Murray yes. episode? Sure. Uh, because we, we introduced Murray last week uh, when we saw him uh, in... First time in season two, I believe. Uh, uh, no, no, because oh, he's, he's, he's in he's in natural the, childbirth, right, which right. we skipped. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The first time we talked about Murray. Yes. Um, and uh, I did a little more reading on Al Molinaro. Uh, because uh, I was curious about his career before Odd Couple, and it turns out he didn't really have much of one. He was someone who, while he always wanted to be an actor, he actually came to it somewhat late in life as uh, because he had made his money in real estate. <laughs> he, uh, was a, he was from a small town in Wisconsin. He, big Italian family in Kenosha, Wisconsin, maybe not a small town. And he went out to LA, somehow made a fortune in real estate selling in LA in the 60s, and sort of took acting classes and had dreams of being, breaking into the business, and was discovered by Gary Marshall. And, uh, his, and therefore his main uh, acting jobs throughout his career were with Gary Marshall from Odd Couple to Happy Days. And after Happy Days, he didn't, you know, he did, he has occasional guest shots and. Joni loves Chachi. Oh, except it's another Gary Marshall show, yeah. right? Uh, but he really kind of, uh, after that, felt 
like he was very pick, pick and choosing his projects because he did it for the love of it and he didn't really need the money. And so turns out he his acting career is solely like as a friendship with Gary Marshall. I did not know he was independently wealthy. Yeah. And it's just so great how he, just like Klugman and Randall, you know, took this role of Murray, which is very much a part of the play and the movie, and really so much made it his own. I think anyone who thinks of that character cannot help but think of El Molinero and his yes. nose. Well, that, and actually, we're going to talk about that in yeah. a second. Uh, not in a second, a little later. So the next thing we see, we see a POV shot of the New York City police car siren driving down the street, which is, to me, very reminiscent of the end shot of the opening credits of Hawaii Five-0, where we see a police siren on a car speeding through the seats of Honolulu. And then we cut to a jail cell, and all four are brought in by another cop. And that cop is played by one of the best, uh, let me change that, the best and most mm-hmm. frequent guest character actor on Odd Couple, Richard Stahl. This is his third of nine episodes where he plays a completely different person every time. He appeared later on 93 episodes of It's a Living, which I am watching now, by the way, on Logo. It's not a bad show. It was, uh, had a very interesting history. Uh, he died in 2006, and he just has that right chemistry of sarcasm, delivery, and every man kind of attitude that allows him to fit in so well with them. He just bounces off everyone else on the show so well. I love Richard Stahl. Uh, and I forgot he was in this episode. I remember him mostly from the monastery episode. That and the, the when he plays a priest who Yes, and there's an episode a monk, I think, and there's an episode yeah. where he plays um a psychiatrist in, <sighs> in the in the in my favorite episode of all time to give it away, the the uh, the mm-hmm. uh, role reversal, or maybe it's not the role reversal. The, I can't remember it's that that episode, I okay. think. Um yeah. Anyway, I love Richard Stahl, and it was a delight to see him in this episode. Uh, he has, and you know, very like unflashy role, but he's he's so great in it. And this is, as we'll get to, a great episode of supporting cast. Last week we had one that was basically just Oscar and Felix uh, the whole time, and now it's this very rich cast of their best supporting players, uh, starting with uh, Gary Wahlberg and now Richard Stahl, and then we'll meet another one later. So just a real, and then a surprise cameo that you'll talk about soon. So it's just a great cast. So Stahl says, the cop Stahl playing says, no shouting, no fighting, no spitting, no rough language. There's a girls boarding school right next door. Um, Oscar says, you know who should be in here, Murray the Fink, which I was, I don't know. I was trying to figure out, is this the only time where the episode title is actually said by one of the characters? (laughs) <laughs> felt like I don't know if we'll there look are for that we'll look for that uh, well natural and, childbirth they certainly use that phrase oh that's true I guess you're right never mind uh, in the cell we also see another prisoner uh, played by Tim Herbert um, who introduces well we later find out his name is Freddie uh, but he appeared on a fair amount of TV series in the 60s and 70s uh, Dick Van Dyke Batman Get Smart I Dream of Judy Brady Bunch and Felix decides to introduce himself to the prisoner. So you would think Felix would be all freaked out. He's in a dirty jail cell, but he's actually enjoying himself, which he goes on to explain a little bit later. But he introduces himself and says, uh, Felix Unger, freelance photographer. The prisoner says, Freddie Noonan, Noonan, freelance pickpocket. Uh, Felix then introduces himself to another prisoner who's very drunk and lying on his cot. So let's talk about him a second. This is, act, this is played by an actor named George O'Hanlon. 
his first acting credit goes back to 1932. He wow. first became famous uh, in, a, in a series of short films in the 40s and 50s called Joe McDokes. And these were one-reelers, as they were called. It was sort of shown before the main features in, in movie theaters in the 40s and 50s. There were 63 of these, and they were all kind of domestic comedies where the quote-unquote original hard luck kid, Joe McDoke, would try some sort of project. So it would be called, so you want to build a car, so you want to re-wallpaper your house, so you want to do something. And then Joe McDoke would do it, and it would all be slapstick and comedy. Uh, but he was most famous to people today as the voice of George Jetson. That is so wild that this guy, this drunk guy in the jail scene is the, is George Jetson. Yes, which no was idea. only one season in 62 and 63, uh, and then came back in 85 to 87, and, and George uh, O'Hanlon continued to do George Jetson. Wow. So it is. It's, I, I think I had heard that a long time ago when I was reading by the odd couple. I did not remember that when we were doing research for this episode. Uh, the drunk who has no name as of now says, nice to make your acquaintance, Sergeant, he says to Felix, uh, which is funnier than it should be because of the way O'Hanlon delivers the line. Um, Oscar and Felix start to argue why they are in here. Oscar says that they should not be in there. Felix says they should help Murray out by playing along with the arrest. Um, and then they talk about that. So let's play the clip. Um, after they start to talk about why they're in the jail cell. This, he's organizing a friendship club. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I'm in jail and my pal put me here. It's your own fault. You egged him on. Who egged him you on? You egged him on. Shh. Girls next door trying to sleep. <laughs> yes, what's the big deal? We'll be out in a few minutes. We pay a little bit of a fine. We're on our way. But we're doing a great thing for Murray. The poor guy, he's so eager to make an arrest. What do you say, Speed, Vinny? We'll go along for friendship's sake? Yeah, why not? No, I don't understand you guys. Go along as if you have a choice. We're in jail, fellas. We're behind bars. Come on, Oscar. I agree with Felix. He's absolutely right. Oh, What's come on, on, Speed. I know he's dying to make an arrest. But look, fellas, who is he taking advantage of? Us, his best friends. Well, who else would let him arrest them except his best friends? <laughs> <laughs> if he arrested real criminals, he could get hurt. Good. <laughs> He didn't even ask us if we wanted to go to jail. Well, if he asked, would you have accepted? No. Well. <laughs> oh, it's all screwy. Yeah, four guys in jail trying to figure out how to do a nice thing for the guy who put us there. Doesn't that seem a little incongruous? I think the whole thing is incongruous. <laughs> Look who I got on my side. <laughs> hey. I know you. I know you. I seen you in the papers in a sports edition. Come on, who are you, huh? Willie Mays. I'm gone! <laughs> so, is it agreed? Yeah. We plead guilty for Murray's sake? Yeah, sure. Come Oscar? On. I'm still burned up. Oh, come on. come on. One for all. All for one. Right, uh, come on. Right. Just because we've always done one for all. Oscar, two of you guys can go. Take me, me, take me, please. Please. please, please. Vincent Barella and Homer Deegan. That, that's me! Your name is Homer? What do you think, when I was born, my mother named me Speed? <laughs> anyway, you guys 
can make bail and go. Oh, See thank you. Later. Congratulations, Homer. Okay. You're Madison. I'm Unger. You yes. stay. Why? Why? You were running the game. Who told you that? The arresting officer, Murray Kreshner. How about that? The arresting officer, Murray Kreshner. Did you hear what he did? We'll be out in a little while. Didn't you hear what he said? We're now in for running a game. We could get 30 days. Oh, no, a couple hours. That's all. What are you talking about? We've already been there. Look at this. Somebody stole my watch. <laughs> I was holding it for you. A lot of thieves in here. <laughs> So first of all, uh, I checked. Oscar did not come in wearing a watch. If you, if you look at his wrists, when he enters that jail cell, both wrists, they're very visible. There is no watch. So big inconsistency Yes, yes uh, major problem there. That Willie Mays line, every time I hear it, it makes me laugh, and I don't know well, why. Let's, we probably don't need to explain this, because anyone listening to this show probably knows exactly who Willie Mays is. But of course, part of the joke is that Willie Mays was a black man and Oscar Madison is not. And so would probably not be recognized. He's also a very slovenly older man and not an athlete. So there's a lot of reasons why that would be, uh, why the joke is so obvious and yet the, uh, the drunk man uh, believes it. So that's what's funny. But the way uh, Jack Klugman delivers that line always makes me laugh. Even though I yeah. know what's coming, and yes, the Willie Mays, the, the, you know, the, that's the exact opposite of Oscar's funny, just the way he delivers it. So oh, deadpan. But, yes. So deadpan. And, and uh, our, our drunk man here, uh, the great George O'Hanlon, O'Hanlon uh, doing a classic, not just any drunk guy, but the classic wino in the parlance of the day, right? Yes. He's in a suit that's all messed up and he's just been at a bar you know, drinking all night. And so it's just, it's, he just does a classic wino. Uh, it's, it's just as visual uh, the, the joke as anything, so it's got to be seen. And we get a great trivia question, which what is Speed's real first name? Which is Homer. Homer. Yes. What a great, and what the opposite, right? Credit to the writers for coming up with like the, the, the opposite end of the spectrum. Because I think before, you know, now we think of Homer Simpson, but before Homer Simpson, the name Homer was kind of like a very stuck up waspy first name. Very, I think of like some good little schoolboy in a, you know, little Lord Fauntleroy outfit. And, uh, oh, interesting. So I, so, I, think, I don't know where I get that association, but it's very small town America kind of thing. So it, is, it does seem to be the least likely of Speed's names. So later in this scene, uh, what well, we cut to another scene in the jail cell and Felix starts to read the writing on the wall. So he, here are the things he reads. Uh, Remember these three little words and you'll always have money. Stick them up. Hey. Oh, yeah, not, not that great. Burt Lancaster was too short, signed Birdman of Alcatraz. Should we explain that one? Burt Lancaster played Birdman of Alcatraz in the movie Birdman of Alcatraz. And, and Burt Lancaster is not He's short. Oh, that I didn't so, know. I thought he was short. Uh, so I guess the joke is uh, that the real Birdman of Alcatraz thinks he was, a he was too short, yes. Uh, he took my case. He took my cash. Now I'm in jail with a nervous rash. So do not hire attorney J. Martin Eckworth. Yeah. And that name. name always, yeah, I always can, I can, I can always recite that name for some reason. There's a lot <laughs> of things I can't remember little asides on any TV show. But if someone asked me to trivia question, what was the name of the attorney and mentioned in yeah. Mary the Fink? I think yeah. I could come up with that. 
Uh, and then he says, don't waste your one call called Judy Kellen, Butterfield 9, something, something, something. I couldn't hear it. And I looked at the closed captioning. She delivers. <laughs> Garrett, you want to talk about yeah. Butterfield. Okay. So, yeah, it's a little, the laugh is so big that it covers up. But all Felix is saying is the rest of the number. It's a phone number. So you, to get this joke, you have to remember the old phone exchanges that were the, uh, that preceded the, how you, the first two numbers of the phone number, at least in Manhattan, had, you could spell, have the letters right on the old, on the phones, the letters on your number. So Butterfield was B-U, so two, eight. And if, so for some reason, instead of saying two, eight, nine, you said Butterfield nine. But the reason for that was that in the very old days, when you had to ask the operator to dial, <laughs> you know, like, like uh, before dialing, before self-dialing phones, operator, get me Butterfield nine. That was the Butterfield exchange was a different operator who connected you to that. They were neighborhoods, basically. So uh, my old number was, was started with Murray Hill 8 because we were the Murray Hill Exchange on the east side. Uh, you might very well have had a plaza number. I think a lot of uptown numbers started with 7-5, I think it's plaza. Ours was 4-2. Uh, I don't know what that was. So you can look this up, folks, but probably anyone listening to this probably remembers this. Um, and so one, you have to get that it's a phone number and the rest, so he just, he's just listing off the numbers. Uh, the other joke for Butterfield specifically was it was also the title of a John O'Hara novel from the 30s made into a successful film in the 60s with Elizabeth Taylor playing a high-class call girl. And her number was Butterfield 8 something, something, something. And the name of the book and movie is Butterfield 8. And so... Just by saying, don't waste your one call, call Judy Kellen at Butterfield Not means she's a hooker. That part I got. And she delivers, yes, apparently, yes. <laughs> which cracks Felix up a lot. So, and he's getting a kick out of all this. He calls it gallows humor. Oscar says he thought Felix would be going crazy in the cell. Uh, Felix says, no, he's buoyed, that's the word he uses, by doing something for his fellow man so he doesn't mind the dirt. And Felix says this experience should be very valuable to Oscar as a writer. And he starts to imagine all the death row inmates that are around him sitting in their cells. And he starts singing a old song, which Garrett's going to talk about in a second after we play a clip called Going Home. So let's play the clip of Felix singing this song as he's imagining about death row inmates. Everybody should have to spend one night in jail. Then we know how the other half lives. Just think of it, Oscar. We're part of this for the first time in our lives. You just imagine. Upstairs, I'll bet there are lifers in solitary. <laughs> and on death row, a man sits in his cell and waits for the final moment. The governor's reprieve. Go course that banging at the end is Oscar who is really annoyed by this grabbing a tin cup which seems like something <laughs> out of Pirates of the Caribbean uh, you know banging on the cell to get out of there 
And you want to talk about that song? Yeah, well, it's part of a whole thing they're setting up. It's so much fun watching them do all these prison, old prison movie cliches. So even the Tin Cup, which comes out, right, it, it's, it's like a, a prison's movie out of the 30s where they have these like, you know, cheap utensils and tin cups. And that was an old like prisoner thing, like to, to rattle the, the, to protest or to make noise in the prison was to bang your cup against the bars, I guess. So there you have Oscar like acting like some, like some character out of an old prison movie. And the other thing is what Felix is doing, which is the Negro spiritual, as they're called. Um, you know, so here's Felix in a, in a kind of an awkward humor moment, uh, um, trying to dignify himself as imagining himself as this, uh, you know, the death row inmate, who of course should be a black man singing a Negro spiritual, because that's how it was in the old movies. And that is indeed the voice of Tony Randall uh, in his deepest baritone in his uh, Paul Robeson-esque style, singing a song that Robeson did make famous called Going Home. And just fun fact about the song is that it's actually kind of a fake Negro spiritual because uh, it's actually the tune you might recognize from the great classical piece, the, the New World Symphony by Anthony Dvorak, the Czech composer, who wrote a symphony based on what he thought were inspired by American folk music. and so. Funny enough, one of Dvorak's uh, protégés uh, adapted that tune from the symphony into a song called Going Home and was marketed and sold in the early 20th century as a Negro spiritual and then was, became one just because Paul Robeson recorded it. So it's, uh, but what's funny here is that Felix, who's the most white of stuck up white men, <laughs> suddenly like breaking into his Paul Robeson vest. And uh, I think part of that is what makes it so embarrassing to Oscar and painful that he has to uh, bang on the bars and demand to be let out. And this is the second time they've done this sort of joke. In Hospital Mates, he starts singing that song, yeah. Jim. So right. I don't know if this is Tony Randall influencing, because there's a totally. two writers, but totally. uh, this, no, what, yeah. Ran Tony Randall loves to sing. Yes. So, he finds any excuse at all in this show to sing. The audience is going crazy for this. <laughs> I mean, I even that clip, when I recorded yeah. it, I didn't remember how loud the audience laughter was. Yeah. Uh, now we come back, Felix is singing again in another scene in the jail. Now he's singing the song, Your Time is My Time, which was a theme used by Rudy Valley. It was Rudy Valley's second theme song. But ironically, the first theme song connects back to something we talked about in Felix's wife's boyfriend, because the name of Rudy's Valley's first theme was Hi Ho Everybody. Ah. And that's the best line that we liked when Felix starts getting indignant with um, uh, Nancy and her brother and Oscar. And he says, and uh, Nancy says, come on, can't we be all adults? And Felix goes, Hi Ho Everybody. So clearly mm. Felix likes Rudy Valley or Tony Randall. Or Tony Randall likes Rudy they, Valley. Or they both do. Yeah. Well, you know, he's also doing another, speaking Rudy Valley, I believe, was famous. I for singing through a bullhorn. He had this technique on his radio show. I think that was a thing for some of these singers was like to use a bullhorn to make, give their, give their voice that little, that little tinny sound. I'm doing a, yeah, he's doing it now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Felix does that with the newspaper or magazine, whatever it is, he rolls it up and is singing, doing his Rudy Valley impersonation through that. So I think that's a reference to that. 
So now Felix and uh, Oscar both say they're hungry and they call for the guard, Richard Stahl, to come and says that he wants some food. And here, Freddie jumps up, the, the pickpocket, and says there is no more food until tomato surprise in the morning. And Oscar says, what is that? And Freddie says, it's oatmeal with nuts in it. And Oscar says, where's the tomato? And Freddie says, there ain't no tomato. And they both say at the same time, that's the surprise. It's a know. very vaudevillian joke that eats up 30, 20 seconds of the show for no reason. I mean, it's an amusing joke, but it's just like stuck but in it, there. Yeah, no, it's amusing because it's, it's, it's so... So corny. Um, and Stahl, you know, as they're shouting for the guard to come, Richard Stahl finally comes and Felix said they would like some food. And Stahl, and this is where he just becomes, in his deadpan way, says, what would you like? And the audience is laughing because of the way Richard Stahl says that. Felix says, I'd like that steak sandwich. Oscar says he'll do the same with French fries. George O'Hanlon pipes up and says, oh, he'll have four martinis, I'm expecting guests. And Stahl says the kitchen is closed because the chef doesn't get out of solitary until 5.15, which is a, it could have been a better joke there, but it was yeah. fine. But so the main we, joke is that Felix and Oscar here are ordering yeah, like they're in right, a restaurant. Yes, exactly. And Stahl is just like deadpan, like, you idiots. Uh, so we have a new scene, and Felix asks uh, to Oscar if they do have to stay overnight, does Oscar want the upper or the lower bed? Oscar says, I want the upper so I can step on your face when I wake up in the morning, which is more about Oscar's cruel humor to Felix. Felix says that he got to make a call, which, uh, you know, I guess we didn't see that. And he called Murray's wife, and she was so proud of Murray. And Oscar says, isn't that terrific? And gives him, you know, he says it very sarcastically and gives him a very, really a death stare. And at this time, Murray comes in and he's in a suit and he's all peppy and he's all full of confidence. And he says he's taking his wife out to celebrate. And let's listen to that interaction. Hi, boys. It's okay. You can let me in here alone. I know these guys. Murray, you're in cities. They made you a plainclothesman. No, not yet, Felix, but tonight's my big night. I'm taking the little woman out. Now? Oh, the night's still young, and I'm gonna celebrate. Celebrate? Yeah, listen, where's a really nice place to go? In other words, if you were free, where would you go? <laughs> For your throat. Watch it. You're speaking to a police officer, Madison. <laughs> Felix, it was awfully nice of you to call my wife. She just appreciated it. So when are you going to get us out of here? Well, I really don't know that. you got a serious charge facing you running a game. You're in a lot of trouble, Oscar. Hey, Mar, you think I'm going to let you get away with this? Are you, you know, crazy? Felix, my captain really likes me. Uh, he patted me on the back. He said, Murray, I like what you're doing. What you're doing is good. You know, they've been looking for you guys for a long time. Felix, come in, please, come in, come in, quick. Hold me back! They knew there was gambling in the area, but they couldn't put their finger on it until I broke the case. Oh, Tracy! Oh, Tracy! What's your name, Don? Oscar Madison. <laughs> Surprise at you, Oscar. Madison, we were gonna let you and Unger out, but assaulting an officer, now that's big stuff. Unger, you can go. <laughs> I can do much more for you on the outside. Yeah, call my lawyer, we'll call my lawyer. Who is your lawyer? Anybody but J. Martin Eckworth. <laughs> Don't worry about a thing, I'm the ball. 
I'll get you out of here. I know you won't, Phoenix. I know you're my friend, Phoenix. You'll get me out. And when you do, I'll take care of that Murray. I'll take care of him. What is it, buddy? What? You know all the places. I'm taking Murray and his wife to dinner. Where should we go? So there's a great uh, expression on Oscar's face during that entire scene where he's completely incredulous to what is happening here. Uh, and of course, a great callback to J. Martin Eckworth. Do you believe that Felix would ask Oscar for a restaurant recommendation? I don't disbelieve it as much as you're suggesting one should because <laughs> well just hearing it this time where felix says you know all the places right yes it's right in fact the, the fact that felix doesn't know the place well maybe it's this maybe it's where the jail is is that's the joke like this is a seedy area and oscar knows it well it's worth it for the joke it is really funny that that yes. felix is is also for, for is, is pissing off so much by by being more happy for murray than yes upset for themselves so we go to commercial from there and the next morning uh, Felix comes back to the jail cell with a doggy bag from the restaurant. Oscar says that all night the girls in the boarding school were singing Born Free. So a third singing joke now, even though this one's off camera. Uh, Felix says they have to appear in night court tonight. So Oscar actually has to stay in jail until then. And at that moment, the drunk from the prior night, George O'Hanlon, is now sobered up. And now we actually find out a name and hear a very different... And, and sobered up and is, is well-groomed now. He almost looks like a different person. And here's, here's a clip of that. Uh, excuse me, gentlemen. My name is J.B. Darlington, and I, uh, I've got to call my factory. Uh, do you have a dime? You see, we're involved in the top-secret project, and my presence there is absolutely necessary. Where's the... Remember last night? It was a terrible mistake. They were arresting everybody. Would you believe it? They had Willie Mays in here last night. And he has a beautiful singing voice. I can't help you. Aren't you his attorney? Oh, no. no he's a freelance friend. Sorry. Ciao. So there's a lot of great callbacks there. There's the Willie Mays callback. Uh, there's the freelance callback. And, uh, and beautiful you, singing voice. And beautiful singing voice. And you do hear a little George Jetson in there. If you focus on it, you hear George Jetson no, in there. No, once you mentioned it, I, I, it made total sense. Uh, but, so, yeah, part of the joke there is also that he's so transformed that Felix doesn't recognize right. him. Right. So, and, and who's this? And Oscar has to say, you know, from last you know, time. And, they, and he holds up his hand drinking. Yeah, so that's a visual joke there. Uh, you know, another old prison cliche that I guess maybe was true, you know, the old prison cliche that you will get one phone call. Uh, and so, but it, did they really have to supply their own nickel or dime? Yeah, I know that. I probably don't believe. Yeah. And I thought they, they strip you of, they take all your pocket contents in jail and yet... Uh, I also don't think visitors were allowed to enter the jail cell uh, like Felix is, but perhaps there's not strict realism about jail in this episode. Right, or uh, you know, real life rules are abandoned for the sake of comedy. Yeah. So Oscar says uh, he's not gonna let Murray get away with this. Felix says that he will pay the fine for Oscar. Oscar goes into this exaggerated imitation of Murray and says, I'd like to break his nose, but I only got two hands. So this is the first time you and I have encountered a Murray Nose joke in the show. Um, and my question is, does which came first, the Nose jokes or the casting of Almo and Al? 
Well, I certainly don't recall any nose jokes in Neil Simon's The Odd Couple play or movie. Um, and the actors who played that roles did not have prominent noses. So it has to be an Alamo and Arrow thing. I agree. And, and I, I, my, you know, obviously we have to examine season one very carefully, but it's, it doesn't seem like the thing they would start using in the show right away. It's obviously after they get to know Al for a while. And he was game for it, I guess. And as the show goes on, the nose jokes get very elaborate. And yes. Like, feature in the plot. Yes. By the way, I'm going to let you do that season one careful investigation. Thank you. I cannot sit through season one carefully. Uh, I'll take a bullet for you. Uh, So Oscar calls um, Richard Stahl over and says he wants to make a phone call, which we never really find out what that is. By the way, didn't he already get a phone call? Because Felix did. And when he saved it for later uh, and says, there's another call back here. Because when he says, I want to make a phone call, Richard Stahl says, if you want to call Judy Kellen, she has a new number. <laughs> so they've now done like a lot of great callbacks in, from earlier in the show. So we're now cut to a courtroom. And the judge appears to be talking to everybody referenced earlier in the show. First, we see J- Judy Kellen. Which right. is, I didn't. I did not they, know that they are committed to the bit, as we say. I, when I just, I was putting on the closed captioning to kind of follow what's going on and make sure I had good notes. And it and he says Judy Kellen. I didn't realize that's Judy Kellen in there until now. I have a feeling that was one of those like little bits, little extraneous scenes that probably was cut in syndication because I didn't recall that. Oh, either. that could be. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. And he says, but "Don't we let see it- this woman who has no who who's not doesn't speak." No, and it's clearly and what does the judge say to her? He says, "Don't let it happen again, Miss Kellen. Case dismissed." <laughs> uh, we can only imagine what the case is. Now let's talk about the judge. Judge is played by Kurt Conway, who appeared Love three him. times. Love him. He appeared three times as a judge in The Odd Couple and a doctor in a fourth episode. He isn't a particularly busy actor, at least in TV and movies. Maybe he was much busier on stage. He has sporadic TV and movie credits from the 40s to the 60s, including playing Adolf Hitler in a very weird episode of The Twilight Zone called He's Alive. Wow. Where you don't really see Adolf Hitler, if my recollection oh. is right, that clearly until maybe towards maybe the end. He's cast for physical type because he's kind of a, a, a short of stature. Man. And he died two weeks after this episode, after his last not this odd one. couple, not, not this one. one, after his last odd couple episode yeah. aired in 1974. Well, that's sad. But, um, he is he is just the crustiest, crusty old man judge you can imagine. I mean, that's why he's so memorable and all. The, I love the fact that they kept using him, even though the judge may be a different name each time, but he's basically their go-to judge because he's just such a crusty old man. It's hilarious. So, and the bailiff, we do, there's a bailiff in the room. So in the room, besides the our characters and the, jail characters there's a richard stall there there's the judge and there's the bailiff bailiff who almost has no lines is actually is played by mark russell and if you're a kojak viewer you recognize him because he was in 107 episodes of kojak as saperstein and if anyone was a kojak viewer you can hear telly savalas yelling saperstein a lot Mm -hmm. in the show and he had a a fairly regular role in the in uh Kojak playing a cop who would go investigate something. He, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a minor, minor character. He was maybe the fifth lead after Crockett and Stavros. He was next in line. So next, the judge calls Freddie the Pickpocket up and J.B. Darlington. So they are consistent with covering everyone else in the jail cell. 
yeah, it's uh, very much, again, an ensemble show, this episode, with all these supporting players in it, like, throughout. And they, they're committed to uh, uh, filling out all those characters. So Oscar and Felix come in, and Felix, uh, they ask if they will pay the $10 fines, Oscar and Vinny and Speed. Oscar says no, because he has evidence. And uh, Oscar, I'm sorry, that's what Oscar says to Felix. And Oscar and the crew then go up to the judge. Felix, Vinny, and Speed all plead guilty, but Oscar pleads guilty, not guilty with extenuating circumstances. The judge says there's no such thing. He can only plead guilty with extenuating circumstances. (laughs) And Oscar says he's going to set a precedent. Uh, the judge asks if he's an attorney, but Oscar says he's a sports writer, to which the judge rolls his eyes and says, oh boy. <laughs> Oscar asks, your honor, can I say something? And the judge gets mad and says, don't call me your honor, because your honors work 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. I'm just a night court magistrate. Again, the crusty old man that you talked about. Mm-hmm. Oscar says, okay, your magistrate, and says he can prove they were framed, that, that they all were framed, because, and that Murray was at the game playing because he has evidence. He has Murray's cigar. He's a fondue fork with Murray's fingerprints on it. And he has a picture of Murray scooping up the, quote, biggest pot in 1967. And the judge says these are very serious accusations and could lead to charges against Murray. Now, Murray faces all of a sudden, like, gets very maudlin and despair. But how did Murray not see this coming? Yeah. He knew he was playing. (laughs) But here's the bigger problem. Where the hell did this evidence come from? Yeah. Oscar didn't go home. So he, Oscar did not go home. He was in jail. So now was this evidence, if they, did this evidence get to a police precinct? Did he call somebody to get the, who did he call? Was that why they made Well, I think, I think you must be right. Because yeah, he does at, uh, right in the previous scene, is about to make a phone call and we never find out who. So there's obviously some friend who is not one of these characters could be Roy, uh, the other poker Maybe player. Maybe it's crazy Roy to Zimmerman. You know, that's who you, you got to call, who's uh, always there for you, yeah. Um, um, I don't believe whatever, that didn't happen that way. He didn't call someone who brought in these things. Maurice well, has a key to his apartment, obviously. Uh, yeah, it's, so it's clearly a... By the way, the biggest pot of 1967, that would make that game older than the show. Yes, which they... This, so they're going back uh, four years to before we ever saw these guys in 1970. So uh, Felix steps in because now he realizes that Murray's in trouble and he talks about representing Murray. So let's play a clip of that happening. Excuse me, Your Honor. What do you want? I'm Felix Unger. I'd like to represent the arresting officer. <laughs> Are you an attorney? I'm a freelance photographer. Oh, boy. (laughs) I'd like to cross-examine this witness. He's not a witness. He's the accused. And Officer Greshler is not on trial here tonight. Yeah, go sit down, will you? Officer Greshler's reputation is at stake. I request permission to question this man. Well, this is highly irregular, but if it'll help, okay. Take the stand. Take the stand? Will you sit down, please? Officer Greshler, Your Honor. State your name, please. Willie Mays. I have a hostile witness, Your Honor. Answer the question. Oscar Madison. 
Now, Mr. Madison, where were you on the evening of October 18th of this year at approximately 7.30 p.m.? October 18th? Sit up, <laughs> Last night. Don't stall. You don't know what I'm talking about. I was with you and them and him. Aha! Aha! And what were you doing? Gambling. Aha! Again, aha! That's already been established, Mr. Unger. That's what he was arrested for. Yes, I know that, Your Honor. I'm merely trying to defile his character a little. I will now refute the evidence, if it please the court. It doesn't, but go ahead. Thank you, Your Honor. I will proceed to exhibit A, the so-called cigar butt. <laughs> this is not Officer Greshler's cigar butt. It is the property of the witness. You're crazy, it's his. It has hot mustard on it. So what? So buttons. So buttons. So, two things about that. I, do you remember our pal, Tim Frumkis? Yes. I first heard that phrase, so buttons, from him. Wow. And I Shout always, out to Tim on the show here. I always yeah. associated that. We, he went to high school with Gary and I. And did you notice there's a moment where he says, this belongs to the a witness. I think Tony Randall had a little uh, uh, blooper there where he was going to say something else besides witness or forgot his line. Oh, I have a different read on that, actually. Okay, because, go ahead. Uh, part of what's so enjoyable about this scene is, and we should introduce this concept now, that this is one of the many odd couple courtroom drama scenes, and which all, seen, which all feature Felix as the great lawyer. And this is clearly a role that Tony Randall relished, uh, perhaps stemming from his career-making performance in the sta original stage version of Inherit the Wind, the uh, uber courtroom drama. And uh, he just goes into these great formalities. He's like playing some movie ideal of a great uh, dashing showboating lawyer. And he puts on these weird, this, this mad, very mannered speech and what he's doing there is like the uh, witness is some kind of like flourish of some kind, especially when I see him, when you see him do it with some kind of physical gesture. So I don't know. I, I could be uh, imagining that. But part of what I enjoy about these, these scenes that they do so much is Randall hamming it up. And he would go on to play a judge in his next sitcom, The Tony Randall Show. He played a judge. So after that scene, Felix goes on to say that the cigar butt is Oscar's and not Murray's because it has hot mustard on it. And they were all eating fondue last night, except Oscar, who was eating knockwurst with hot mustard. He then goes on to discredit the fondue fork that Oscar brought by saying it was not used on the night in question and is fraudulent. He goes through the color of each fork used. And this color was not used, and therefore it's a fraudulent fondue fork. <laughs> and then when he's asked about the photo of Murray with the pot winnings, Felix says that Murray, he posits that Murray is an undercover officer of the Vice Squad. And Oscar says for nine years? And even and then, Murray is completely <laughs> taken back by that. And Oscar goes on to call this a kangaroo court and Felix a kangaroo. Mm -hmm. And then we get into the back half of the... Uh, courtroom scene which has a great final moment that is one of the highlights of the episode we'll play that now do you recall mr madison trip to california oh a few years ago that's a pertinent fact can the court instruct the witness to answer the question answer the question you didn't ask any question 
Does the name Disneyland ring a bell? Disneyland. Sure, I went to Disneyland with millions of other people. What are you getting at? This. Do you or do you not have beside your bed a stolen Mickey Mouse ashtray? No. Remember, you're under oath. It's a Pluto ashtray. I don't follow your line of questioning, counselor. Counsel is merely seeking to establish the true character of the witness and to discredit his reliability. I have refuted all the evidence. All that remains of this case is his word against Officer Greshler's. And whom are we to believe? This kind, wise bastion of our society? Or this hooligan? Gambler? Pilferer? Divorcee? Jacques! Deep! Madison! So a couple things. First of all, Felix loves it when judges call him counselor, which happens. Yes. <laughs> and every every courtroom scene, of course, Felix is makes Oscar look like a fool. Like that's the right. always it's always that. And those are some of the best scenes in the entire show. This episode, I think, is not one of the better courtroom scenes, but even a modest courtroom scene in the odd couple is very entertaining. And let's talk about Jacques, which comes from yes. the famous letter written by Emile Zola accusing the president of France of anti-Semitism when he jailed Alfred Dreyfus. Yes, and um, uh, it's, it's a, again, Tony Randall at his hammiest best in his perfect, over-perfect French with his eyes bulging out, going super intense, going, Jacques, Madison. With the point, with the famous, with you the know. Pointing, 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 exactly. Is, if you go look Jacques up, you'll see a lot yeah. of cartoons from the turn of the century or earlier. Going into saying Madison with a French yeah, accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just so over the top, especially for this dinky little night court scene right. over a 10 nickel and dime poker game. The fact that he goes there is so hilarious. And so at this point, Murray comes forward and says that Oscar's right. Murray is the guilty one. I am the guilty one. I'm Murray. And, uh, and that he turned in his own friends. And he starts to quit the force. He starts to turn in his gun and his badge. But even Oscar now starts to become sympathetic. And he says he wants to draw his complaint. Felix adds that Murray was there out of compulsion to toss a few nickels and dimes. And this is when the judge figures out, I guess, for the first time that this is all about a, quote, lousy nickel and dime game. And he says, case dismissed, dismissed and throws everybody out. I don't know how he didn't know that ahead of time, but that's what allows the whole episode to resolve is when he hears it's a nickel and dime game. Felix goes to Oscar and says, I hope there are no hard feelings. He had to do what is best for his client. And to which Oscar says, I'm going to fondue your face while he's grabbing his cheeks and holding his. Yeah, one of us, one of the, uh, a favorite gesture of, I think many characters, of but Oscar especially to squeeze Felix's face as a threat, like to squeeze his cheeks together as a, a, a to kind of, uh, you know, bully him. And they, must, they, they obviously love the word fondue as just a funny word throughout the episode. And I think in the 70s, the word became a new hip thing to do. I guess it was kind of a nouveau cuisine kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. kind of like the wok. I I don't, I think it's, it's yeah, considered. Uh, Undo your face. Good line. The tag, that's the final scene before the tag where Oscar's now lying on the couch, smoking and reading the paper with a big spread of food in front of him. 
Felix comes out and says he's been home five minutes and the place looks like an explosion and a delicatessen. And Felix says he, that Oscar has this nice, clean, beautiful home. Didn't he learn anything from that vile prison? Oscar says just one thing. Felix says what? And Oscar reaches down and pulls out Felix's watch, which he had pickpocketed off Felix and give back to Felix. And that's the end of the show. So, Garrett, you wanted to introduce, modify our rating scale to make it one out of five, out of five Murrays is what we're going to call it from now on, right? Yeah, I think we were, we were trying to find uh, what would be our, our rating system. And uh, since we've been talking so much about Murray, we were looking for some item or something that would be very odd couple. And, uh, and uh, I thought it'd be kind of cute. So I will do that from now on. So I give this four out of five Murrays. Uh, any courtroom scene uh, from season two and beyond automatically gets elevated. Uh, the, all the little bits and pieces and the little guest stars and little moments from these various different characters really pepper it. And it's a good story, meaning that there's some thought to it. There's a, there's a rationale behind it and there's an emphasis and there's a, there's a protagonist and antagonist, like it all works together. And there's just really a lot of fun moments. And the, you know, the, some of the names are just indelible. J. Martin Eckworth, <laughs> the three Willie Mays mentions, <laughs> Judy Kellens. It's like little bits that just stick with it. Well, you know, I must say I've, I've gotten, uh, uh, I get more and more fond of it as we've even been talking about it. Cause I came in my first, watching it. My first sense was maybe two and a half. Like I felt the premise, I felt the premise, like just we were saying in the beginning, like how he arrests them was felt really forced to me and kind of flimsy. But, you know, you got the courtroom scene. You got so many of the, of the great uh, supporting actors of the series, the recurring supporting actors like Richard Stahl and Kurt Conway and, uh, uh, and Mr. Speed, Gary um, Wahlberg. Wahlberg. So, God, there's a lot to like here. So... So I'd say not only three Murrays, but I'd say three and a half Murrays. I can't yeah. quite get the four on this, but it's got so many great isolated moments. Maybe if it, if it doesn't hold together as a whole. Can I just share one of my favorite bits from the courtroom scene? Uh, I think, I hope people heard it on the clip, which is that when Felix start, puts Oscar on the stand and starts grilling him, Oscar starts slouching and you yeah. hear Felix go like, sit up straight, sit up straight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, he's his mother. And of yeah. course he's like, actually, in t he's not even, he's, not even on Oscar's side. He's like the opposing lawyer. And he like breaks character to make Oscar look good for something. He's trying to make him look bad, but he can't help himself. I think it's respect for the court. I think because yeah, Felix has so, so much right. respect for the court that he <laughs> thinks it's, uh, it's embarrassing to do that. All right, well, I'm going to go call Judy Kellen now. Um, so we're going to say goodbye. Don't call J. Martin Eckworth. Okay. Jacuzzi. D. Eisler. <laughs> ah. You got me. All right. Uh, so thank you, everyone, for listening. Give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you rate your podcasts, and we will talk to you next week. So long. Bye-bye.